is chewing on chocolate. And that is really the theme of this episode. This is the Feminist Survival Project 2020. I'm Emily Nagoski. I'm Amelia Nagoski. She said through a mouthful of chocolate. Yeah. This is a podcast for feminists who feel overwhelmed and exhausted by everything you have to do and still worry that they're not doing enough. What we're going to talk about today is entertainment. We did an episode on art. So, Amelia, tell us the difference between art versus entertainment. Why are they two separate episodes? Well, in my class, I teach Music 101 at a small university in New England. And in that class, I teach that the difference between art and entertainment is that entertainment is meant to be consumed and understood at first glance. The first time you listen to a song, you enjoy everything that there is to enjoy about it. And it is, in fact, the artist's intention to put it all out there for you to enjoy the very first time you hear it. Like candy. Like candy. Snickers bar. You no taste mystery. It and you're like, yum. But there's no like layers, there's no complexity. Whereas art is intended to reward further examination. So when you listen to the song again, you hear something you didn't hear the first time. When you read the book a second time, you get more out of it than you did the first time. So um, I think actually in uh, Long Division by Kiese Lehman, mm-hmm. he says you haven't heard or listened to anything unless you've heard or listened to it three, three times. times. I really think that's true. Yeah. I mean, except for some Art. things are not intended to be heard. Some things are entertainment and you just do it the one three time. Three times and one time and that's all that's meant to be done. And this is not to say that there is greater value in things that can be learned from from multiple examinations. I think that there's also value in things that are just good the first time you take a bite and it's delicious. Good. That's, yeah. That's of equal value. Buttermilk crispy chicken sandwich. Oh, yeah. I'm eating this chocolate when they eat No it complexity. Just... Yes, good. That's delicious from the second it touches my face until I poop it out. Just delicious the whole time. Right. <laughs> so people's relationship with entertainment is different than their relationship with art. A lot of people okay. are quite happy to talk about the art they consume. They want to talk about the fact that they went and saw that Oscar-winning movie and that foreign-language independent film. Yes, let's have a conversation about that. But there's not as much pride and comfort talking about the genre fiction you consume, for example. That tends to be more associated with stigma or judgment. Yeah. And that's a barrier to using those entertaining things as vehicles for healing your soul and making it an ingredient in your wellness plan. Is that why people form identity communities around their entertainment? Yes. But not around their art consumption? No, there are communities around art consumption, too. Okay, yeah. Have you ever been to an opera? Not if I can help it. Opera people are like hardcore. Okay. I mean, there's also judgment around opera too. Yes. There's judgment around every community of every art or entertainment. There's judgment around it because somebody doesn't belong to that community. And as soon as you have a culture that is closed to people who are outside it, yeah. the people who are outside it are going to judge it. There's that's actually how are. Uh, research on this. And there is uh, neurologically a thing that happens where when you're a member of a group, you automatically have judgment of people who are outside the group. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Unless you're trained otherwise. It can be unlearned. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Unless you have explicit training and how not to do that. Unless Mm -hmm. you, like, notice you're doing it and be like, Uh I'm going to make a decision for that not to be the way I interact with the world. So, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, entertainment is you absorb the whole experience on first consumption. Yeah. 
So when I think of entertainment, I'm in particular thinking of romance novels. That Mm -hmm. is absolutely my relationship with the vast, overwhelming majority of the romance that I read. Mm -hmm. I read it the one time. I have the experience of the journey the author wants me to take, and I'm satisfied with that. Occasionally not, but like romance is really reliable. It delivers a specific experience, and then you've read it, and you're done. I have a keeper shelf. Every true romance fan has a keeper shelf of the books that they will reread. Over and over. But most romance is like one and done. Yeah. And they're referred to as trash books. As trashy trashy, novels. Trashy. Like Um, the best podcast and blog about romance is called Smart Bitches Trashy Books. So there's this acknowledgement of like, this book is not intended to be great literature. It is just a consumable product. It's a disposable, it's a, it's a burger in a wrapper. Yeah. But like that is like, I require that entertainment in my life because you've been talking about the sort of intention and experience. For me, the role of romance novels and the other like entertainment in my life is that it's numbing. Mm -hmm. Like we, we have talked before about like how... When there is an injury, there are three things that have to happen. Like if you've got a knife in your back, we need to get rid of the knife. Step one. Step two, we need to heal the actual wound, which is your immune system functioning within a medical system and a social support system. And then we have management of the pain, mm-hmm. numbing stuff. And we're, we mostly talk about those second two things. Yeah. For me, entertainment is like numbing. It is yeah. pain management. It's mm-hmm. anesthetic. And that's, an, as any doctor would tell you, an important part of the healing process Absolutely. is managing the pain. Because pain is stressful. Pain makes it slower and harder to heal. Yeah. There's absolutely value in things that are numbing. 100%. Yeah. As if, long as it's not all you're doing. If pain is keeping you awake so you can't sleep, mm-hmm. so much of your healing happens while you are resting. Mm-hmm. See all three of our episodes mm-hmm. about rest mm-hmm. and sleep. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, like, if you need to manage the pain so that you can sleep, do that. And that's like a literal pain management, but then there's like emotional pain management. 2020, shit show, horror nightmare. Yeah. Numb the pain. Yeah. And there's a different ways to do that. One is by sheer escapism, which is what the romance is for me. Like most of the romance that I read is quite lightweight Mm -hmm. and gentle, which is why I like it. I do a lot of work around sexual violence. I require happily ever afters in my life. Mm -hmm. Romance is a place I can get that. A lot of people go to Netflix shows that are like low stakes. Yes, please. People being nice to each other. The, the Great, Great British, British Bake Off. Show. I, yes. Yeah, exactly. Also, the Parks Good Place is another Parks one that and people love because it's just I just nice go people. back to this incredibly benign, schmaltzy place. Yeah. Happy people. Shits Creek with good intentions. Shits Creek has uh, so Daniel Levy, the, one of the main writers and a co-producer of Shits Creek. This is a show that's about a very wealthy family that loses everything, and the only place they can live is a town that the father bought for the son as a joke because the town is called Schitt's Creek. Creek. So they go live there, and Daniel Levy, who is gay, made an explicit choice in writing the show to create a place where homophobia does not exist. He's just not going to give it oxygen on his show, not even to argue against it. Mm-hmm. He's just going to show what it's like if there's a world where homophobia doesn't exist, and where not. people don't have to be afraid. And characters bring fear in because they come from places where homophobia did exist. But then their stories and their experiences and their identities are received in a way that does not have that. 
Yeah, there's, there's, they don't have to be afraid. They can just be who they are. And it has a profound impact on people to see that world. It's been incredibly inspiring for me, actually. It makes me understand the value in my own work Mm -hmm. as being like, I'm the Brita filter for (laughs) rape culture. Yeah. Like, I just, like, I'm, I just, I'm just not going to show that anymore. I want to like create in the media that I create, I want to create a pocket of the world where that just doesn't exist, where people may bring fear in with them because mm-hmm. they lived in a world where that did exist. Mm-hmm. But here's what a world would look like where you don't have to be afraid. Yeah. It's like, so Shit's Creek is entertainment for me. Yes. It, it's Escapist numbing. and numbing and soothing. But it's also really like inspiring and motivating and empowering. And I love it. And it's yeah. also hilarious. And Catherine O'Hara. O'Hara is... Yeah, it's genius. genius. She's hilarious. So, but entertainment does not have to be inspiring and uplifting. And when you consume things that are inspiring and uplifting. So does that mean Shit's Creek is art? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Fucking Shit's Creek. Yeah. Things that do more than just soothe you. I mean, now look, it's a spectrum, right? It's not, you know, one side of the, it's not either art or entertainment. I think almost nothing is purely one or the other. Most things are a percentage. 50-50, 70-30, 50-50, 70-30, either or. So I think Schitt's Creek is one of those 50-50 shows. I yeah. think Parks and Rec is another, like, it's like a 60-40 entertainment art show. Okay. Grace and Frankie, it's another 60-40, maybe. Grace See, I don't have the Great experience Great British of- Baking Show is a solid 10% art, 90%, 90% entertainment, entertainment right? just, yeah. Like, I have never rewatched an episode of Great British Bake Off. When I watch Gourmet Makes on YouTube, the Bon Appetit show with right. Claire Saffitz, yeah. mm-hmm. that's entertainment. Entertainment. It's just, like, it's, it's just, fun and you watch to watch. It once, and it's <laughs> just like that's it. it. Yeah. I just like I it. I just like it. I'm not inspired and motivated to make the world a better place. No, no. I don't feel motivated to cook more at home. Right, no. Nope. I just enjoy watching yeah. Claire Saffitz struggle. That's entertainment. Yeah. That's entertainment. And, but there is a kind of a stigma in the world that when you just consume entertainment that it makes you anti-intellectual or, I don't know, whatever. Like, especially for female and feminine things are especially stigmatized right. as being less valuable. Romance novels are stigmatized. Science fiction and high fantasy are also stigmatized, yes. but not, not nearly dismissed as, as trash. As pointless. Because there is definitely a strong culture... And it's a culture, um, so I'm a big fan of urban fantasy. That's my that's my thing. I also like high fantasy and sci-fi, but urban fantasy is 100% the way that I would like to interact with fantasy worlds. And if you're listening to this going like, is there is there Fiction really worlds? a difference between high fantasy, <laughs> urban fantasy, and what did you say? Yeah. Yeah, don't worry. Me too. But uh, those, the fans of those cultures are mostly white men. So they are not stigmatized as much as romance novels, of which the consumers are mostly women. Yes. Deliberately. Yeah. Written by, for, and about women. Right. Now, that also means that the authors, overwhelmingly, of the books that I like tend to be white men. And I have to go out of my way to find books that are not just for and about white men. But when I do find them, they're very rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. You're rewarded for that search. Yeah, man. Because then you find Octavia Butler and you're like, oh, I was like, how did I not know about Octavia Butler this whole time? She's she's probably the best urban fantasy writer who has ever lived. Yeah. She's amazing. And it's but also not a John Stalsey has a pointedly feminist point of view. Mm-hmm. Brandon Sanderson has a pointedly feminist point of view. 
Ben Aronovich has a pointedly feminist and like inclusive of racial diversity. Intersectional. Of, intersectional whole. He even has trans characters and like he had like the first four books of his one series. The protagonist's mother, uh, her first name had never been stated to the reader. And people pointed out like it's typical sexist for like a woman character not to have a name only to be called mom. And he went, oh, I didn't intend that, but I see how that's sexist. So the very next thing he wrote, the first word on the page was her name. He fixed it. Yeah. He listened to the feedback and went, not, I'm not sexist, fuck you. He went, yep, that's, um, I didn't intend that, but I see that I did that wrong. So I'm going to remedy it right now. And he did. Does that make it more than an entertainment, though? Because there's like an intention beyond just... No, I don't. Because those books are, I mean, those books are good. This is, I'm talking about the Rivers of London series by Ben Aronovich or Aronovich. I don't really know how it's pronounced. Yeah, no, I don't think that they're great art. They are good and they do that kind of social... Again, it's a spectrum. I think they're like a 70% entertainment, 30% art situation. Very mostly entertainment. But it's also informed by history and whatever. My point is, not all the writers are misogynistic white men who've never thought about anyone yeah. unlike themselves. Like, the Harry Dresden series is really white supremacist. Not like, he's not a member of the KKK. He just lives in Chicago and he has, like, one black person in his entourage. And that's just unacceptable okay, wow. in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Like, that's just right. not what Chicago is. It's like how girls took place in New York City and it was all white people. Like, yeah, like, that's just not what that is. Yeah. And so that's just thoughtless and, you know, lazy and, you know, sort but of... But that's part of what entertainment yeah. might be, is yeah. that it's created in a way that's thoughtless and lazy. And that's fine, because it's also about, you know, a wizard, and that's entertaining, no. and yeah. I'll take it. And that's... A lot of romance is written in a thoughtless, lazy way. God, no. I mean, anybody who's been paying attention to the hullabaloo amongst romance writers and the yeah. Romance Writers Association... Although I want to say, to their credit, at least there's a hullabaloo. There's a lot of great literature really famous books that get assigned to be read in school that are deeply racist so and So terrible. Why the fuck are we still reading Charles Dickens? Zorba the Greek. No like, one should ever be required to read these things. No. There's, and, and the sexism goes completely unquestioned yes. by the literary community because they're great works. Like, I've read Zorba the Greek like four times because I see value in the experience of the reading, but I can't anymore because yeah. the misogyny is so deeply structured into the book. I mean, you can't have the book without misogyny. And I just, I couldn't tolerate it anymore. Yeah. And that's, I mean, so art can be thoughtless too. Yes. And it's all a product of its time and et cetera, et cetera. But you're allowed to be forgiven for enjoying things that are thoughtless and accidentally racist and, you know. Accidentally misogynist. As long as you're, so this is actually the point that I wanted to make in this episode is the way to consume entertainment is to be critical of it, by all means. Like, be aware of the problems that are in you it. You can notice those problems. Yeah, absolutely. And that's good Talk for about you. them and not be defensive about it. Yeah, and allow yourself to recognize, hey, there's a lot of misogyny in this book, but I'm not going to internalize that misogyny. I recognize that it's not okay and that the world doesn't have to be that way. Whereas I think a lot of times when we're young and we read these books, we assume that this writer is writing this, therefore that's the way the world should be. And it goes unquestioned, uncritiqued. So by all means, be critical of that. But then also be non-judgmental, like Roxane Gay says in Bad Feminist, how she loves hip-hop and R&B. The lyrics are so misogynist, but the songs are so catchy. And so, right. like, you just, you, 
And you have been forced by the nature of your job to be exposed to quite a lot. Oh, God, so much. Of this kind of music. So you know that it's not just, like, one specific artist. It's not just, like, a little subgenre of it. You know that it is widespread because your students are allowed to write about the music they really listen to. Yes. I encourage them to write about the the music they really listen to because I approach my whole Music 101 class from the perspective that all music is valid because someone made it. Someone cared enough to create a thing and that's their humanity that we're experiencing. And all humanity is valid, therefore all music is valid. And the degree to which someone's humanity is represented in their music is a thing that we can examine and that's worth doing. So yeah, I encourage them to write about the music that they love and to take a look at all the objective things and what their subjective experience is. So yeah, man, they submit assignments and I end up listening to their work because I have to, you know, listen to it to see, does it actually do the things that they say it does? Because I don't listen to this recreationally at all. Spotify is so confused by me. Because I go on there and I like look up my students' music. So my playlist is the created for you based on your listen to music. It's like all over the place. It's insane. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I have seen some consistent well, bad misogyny. It's the misogyny is everywhere. That's the thing that I've noticed the most, probably because maybe I'm more sensitive to it than other things. But uh, God, it's intense. Like all that bitches and women as sex objects and... Like, they're just all about sex in this... I don't want to talk about it anymore. (laughs) It's not good. And you can, like, have no interest in consuming it. You can have... You can not enjoy it. And not, like, judge other people's completely valid experience of it. Like, you do you if this is what works for you. Yeah. And because they're also... Because the reason people argue against that music existing in the world... Uh, is because, well, people who listen to that are then going to go act on it. And there's zero research to prove that that's true. And they have tried, man. All the white men in the world have been trying to prove that rap music makes black people violent. For like 30 years, they've been trying to prove it. And And they just can't. They have tried. And they can't. So there is zero ground to stand on to say like, well, you can't have that in the world because that's not okay. Well, I mean, that's somebody's humanity that you're looking at. So... Humanity is okay. We just need to be critical and aware and then don't carry any judgment into it of yourself or of the person who made it or of the people who listen to it. Yeah. Let them, let them have what, what makes them do what they need to do. I think, so what I am recognizing as we talk about this is that the entertainment people make is often a reflection of their experiences. Mm-hmm. And it it shows us our experiences in a way that brings us some degree of pleasure. Whereas art doesn't just show it, it transforms it and it transforms our own experiences of our lives. Yeah, There's something more active and there's a, a deliberate process of reshaping that happens in the process of making art. And maybe that's the difference. I don't think that all art has to be transformative, but I think it's one of the powers art is capable of. It can also just expose. I'm trying to like give myself a reason for not using the word lazy. Like when you write a song where the lyrics are just really sexist and misogynist and like, I don't want to be like, yeah, that's just a lot of black men writing lyrics that are misogynist because they're not even trying to think critically about their experience and what impact this has on the women in their lives. 
they're just like writing songs about the things that it's they're holding up a mirror to their world and that it's it's just it's what they experience it's like a pencil sketch of their experience it's just like an ultra simplification just like a real boiling down to a couple of brush strokes what their experience is and if they tried to transform their experience more instead of just brush stroking it then maybe they would make something that didn't recapitulate misogyny mm -hmm. so i want to like I'm, this is me trying not to be judgmental yeah yeah of like and again like i can do the same thing with romance that a very enormous proportion of romance recapitulates yeah. rape myths recapitulates yep. a lot of racist tropes a lot of classist tropes fundamental anatomical mistakes yeah, really basic stuff it gets wrong not because there is any malicious intent or but, even a desire to recapitulate these myths well, because it's but made a by lack people. of effort and people are people and people have a very specific intention when they're making these books which is to tell a story mm -hmm. that takes a person on a journey to yeah. a particular destination and they feel like the shorthand of racist tropes or sexism is it makes it more efficient to tell the story because we all know what the stereotypes are so if they just right. go here stereotype now you've got a whole image in your mind so like the word laziness comes back to me again when it comes to that, like it is, it's just laziness. Or is it just efficient? <laughs> no, uh, yes, no, I see. That I mean, their laziness and efficiency go hand in hand. Yeah. <laughs> totally, 100%. So it's the laws of thermodynamics. So maybe sort of like this is the balance between non judgment and criticism. Like, be aware of it mm -hmm. and know that, like, your awareness of a shortcoming in a piece of entertainment. Mm -hmm is already a step in a good direction. Exactly, exactly. And when people are aware of the Can you hand me that, the chocolates? Uh, when we are aware of the things that people are critical of, like sexism um, and racism in work, uh, that's what makes it possible to create change. It is only the consumer's oh. lack of interest in identifying problems. Yeah that makes it acceptable for these things to continue to be produced. When readers become more savvy and they're like, yeah, hey, that book there, that's super racist, like it's happening in the romance community. Yeah. Then, I mean, at least there's a conversation going mm -hmm. on, which wouldn't happen yeah. if there was no criticism. The racism in the books isn't anywhere near so much of a problem as the white writers who are like, how dare you Exactly. call my work racist? Right. So what when really what be, they could do is be like, yeah, you're right. I wrote that shit 15 years ago. Yeah. And I, I did not know better. Like Ben Aronovich did. Yeah. When he was like, okay, I hear the criticism. It's valid. It was not my intention, but I'm going to fix it. Mm -hmm. All you have to be is critical and non-judgmental. And the creators need to learn that too. But for the purposes of our podcast situation here, I think most of us are not creators. Most of our consumers even people who are creators are also consumers. So mm -hmm. everybody's a consumer. So if we can all take on the task of being critical yet non-judgmental, I think it's gradually, slowly, piece by piece, going to start changing what gets produced and what starts getting more appreciated. Well, it was a caramel chocolate and it was basically my favorite. I like the caramel ones too. Oh. No, you can have it. I have this giant box of chocolates. coconut. Because it was just Valentine's Day and I gave my husband explicit instructions. Go buy me chocolate in a heart-shaped box. Half off. Because yeah, the day after the day. After day. <laughs> it's coconut. You don't like coconut. I love coconut. Are oh, you kidding? I thought you didn't like it's coconut. It's my favorite. Okay. Well, no, caramel is my favorite. So, anyway. <laughs> Entertainment. You should definitely keep talking while you're chewing. I'm sure that's not gross at all. Be non-judgmental. And also critical. Yeah. And you're allowed to like what you like. There's a song on the internet 
It's a quote basically from Will Wheaton. Yeah. It's okay to not like things, but don't be a dick about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay to not like things. It's okay, but don't be a dick about it. It's okay to not like things. Yeah. Don't be a dick about the things you don't like. Yeah. Should we mention Martin Scorsese now? <sighs> he recently criticized comic book movies because they're made by committee, he said. And he subscribes to auteur theory where there's like a single, usually white, usually man, who's in charge of making decisions and executing a vision. Like, that's how art works. That's not how art works, Martin Scorsese, who should fucking know better. Art is made by teams. Here's the thing, is his, he does know, but he's had the experience over and over again, and, and yet, yet he still claims credit for his productions as if he's the one. Because he's won Oscars, therefore he believes that he's the one who deserves the Oscar. As if he could have made that without... All those other people. All those other people. As if, yeah, yeah. And there is... So there are things that are made by committee where the decision-making process... This is another thing Daniel Levy has talked about, actually. Yeah. Where one of the reasons why Schitt's Creek is what it is, is that there is not a committee of producers or, like, TV executives who come in and tell him who has to do what. They right. don't decide which storylines are going to happen based on what the ratings were for a particular character or right. performer. right. They tell but the story they want to tell. Martin Scorsese is assuming that's how comic book movies are made, but that's not true. That's not how they're made. It is a way that things get made, and it is a reason why mediocre things are mediocre. It, it does contribute to mediocrity when that is the goal, when pleasing the audience in a very generic way is the goal. Yes. The result will be a very generic thing. It's So, for example, they've done research on, like, what's the funniest joke? Yeah, exactly. And the resulting funniest joke is not the funniest joke. It's the joke that's most... least likely to rate badly. Right. So it is therefore the most average joke. Right. Yeah. Rather than the joke that is funniest to any specific audience. Yeah. So when you make entertainment by committee, yeah. you get like average. And you know what? If you like that stuff, you like that stuff. That's you are totally the audience fine. they were making it for. Yeah. The last Star Wars movie, they're like, well, it's just fan service. I'm like, I am that fan. And they serviced me just great. Did they? Yes. I didn't see the last Star Wars movie. I I'm did. I'm afraid and of when, it. Like, so spoiler alert for the last Star Wars movie. Um, there's this point where we the ship blows up and we're like, oh, my God, that's the ship Chewie was on. I literally cried. I'm like, they killed Chewie. Who are they? Joss Whedon killing characters I love? And then it turned out Chewie was fine. And I was very happy. <laughs> and oh they took away C-3PO's memory and he's like I'm just saying goodbye to my friends and I was like C-3PO they're gonna take and then they restored his memory because R2-D2 R2-D2 had a backup like so it's all turned out fine that's <laughs> that was exactly what I wanted I wanted to be jerked around like a little puppet and it was exactly what I wanted there was also stuff I didn't love about it it was super heteronormative and I really wish I really wish Finn and Poe had been a couple like, they set it up the whole time as this, like, will they, won't they, their colleagues, and they're working together towards this thing. And it was just, like, a Han and Leia. And I was so ready for that to be, like, the big romance. And instead, they intentionally set them both up with other women. Like, to be like, and now we will prove that these are not gay, because being gay is definitely bad. So that was unfortunate. Oh, well. But the fan service stuff that I know they did for fan service, like, they... They gave Chewie a medal that was Leia's medal at the end. Aww. Yeah, and because from the very first movie, there was this award ceremony, and Chewie didn't get a fucking medal. Yeah. Like, 
And I have always been like, why didn't Chewie get a fucking medal? He was there the whole time. He didn't get a medal. And they gave him a medal. They didn't explain it. They put no context around it. But man, I understood and I was really gratified. So fan service for the win. Okay. I So as you can see, I'm a total geek for the fantasy stuff and the science fiction and the... Yeah. So you're allowed to like what you like, is my point. <laughs> Yeah, you're allowed to like what you like. Yeah. And there's no reason not to be, because you're also like, and they like clearly were like, let's make sure people know these characters are not gay because, yeah. God forbid, God forbid they just be gay. gay. Yeah. yeah. It would have been so good if they were gay. Oh, so God, it would have been amazing. I was so ready. Yeah. But then again, they also would have been setting themselves up for another uh, uh, Russian yeah. target. Exactly. Bullshit. They, and yet they put in like a really lightweight, like lesbian kiss at the end. Like just some of the people greeting each other and celebrating at the end, there was there was a lesbian couple because as we all know, lesbianism is acceptable gayness because <laughs> yes. it's because misogyny. <sighs> anyway, people still complain. <sighs> Critical yet non-judgmental. That's what we're striving for here. Yeah. Are you buying the new season of Shit's Creek? I'm probably going to. Yes. <laughs> I haven't seen season six yet because you have to buy it and i think i'm, I'm gonna go ahead and buy it but when you buy it before the whole season has been released you don't just like get the whole season no now. you have to buy them all and i i don't but wanna, there's a cap to how i much don't want to wait there's a cap to how much you spend like they'll if it's a dollar 99 for each episode no yeah if i just buy the whole season i can buy the whole season but i don't get the whole season now right, until that it's aired out. yeah yeah yeah. and i want to watch them all yeah because so i don't enjoy suspense yeah, no, I just want to, like, binge the whole thing. Yeah. And I'm, that's, and I'm very serious in my love of Schitt's Creek. Yeah. I, I like just it watch it, like, I just loop it. Yeah. Over and over in my brain. It's like Jane Austen books, yeah, yeah. audiobooks. I just loop it. Literally last night, I slept with Pride and Prejudice playing in my headphones. Well, I'm not going to judge you for that. Because numbing. Numbing. Yeah, familiar stories. Like a kid. Kids want familiar stories. The right? same story over and over. Yeah. That doesn't make you childish or immature just makes you human and that's totally okay so fun novel takeaways from this episode one be critical yet non-judgmental you're allowed to like what you like yeah <laughs> even if you are critical of it and other people are allowed to like what they like yeah and they're allowed to not like what you like yeah i don't give a shit about urban fantasy yeah i don't care at all amelia doesn't care at all about romance I she don't. actively dislikes romance I, it's just not for you. It's just not for like, me. Like, you would very rarely choose to spend your time with a romance novel. I have read some Laura Kinsale books that I enjoyed. I'm just not interested in that. Yeah, and I'm I just, want a wizard detective, you know? And I don't give a fuck about wizard detectives. Yeah. I just don't. That's just not what I'm looking I for. I really need there to be, like, a fairy of some kind. And look, we're identical twins. <laughs> yeah. It's okay to not like things. Just yeah. don't be a dick about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, like what you like. Be critical, but non-judgmental. Yeah. And once you can do this, it opens a doorway to allow entertainment to help you manage with the shit show. Because it is pain-numbing. Yeah, and that's okay. And not just that. It also, you were talking about a Book Riot article. Oh, yeah. About uh, horror stories and yeah. how they sort of, like, objectify and externalize the horror 
which yeah. helps people process their grief and rage. Yeah. Someone when I had a when I was working at Smith, a student asked me about her love of sci-fi and like the danger and adrenaline of the stories she was choosing. Mm-hmm. And she was like, so I feel like it's helping me with my anxiety. Yes. To, and I was like, yeah, yeah, de- that's definitely a yeah. thing that's happening yeah. for you for Last sure. Last month there was an article, the article you were saying was in on bookriot.com. It was called How Horror Helps with Processing Grief and Trauma, which the fact that this person felt the need to explain it tells us that clearly there are people in their life saying, well, how come you're so interested in horror? And they look, let me show you how this works. Yeah. It, I see the thing and then I process the stuff. And if that's how it works for you, it's valid. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of writers I wanted- who, I, like, who point this out in their stories. They tell stories within their stories. There are characters who are to- storytellers. In the Shadowhunters books, there's the saying, all the stories are true, which... They are as metaphors and as symbols for right. other experiences. There's other storytellers that talk about, well, all the stories have been told before. And yes, yes, every story you read is a part of your experience, too, because we're all human. The people who write the books are human. The people who make the TV shows are human. So are we. We all share something. What were you going to say? I was going to say that there's two different ways of numbing pain. Yeah. One is to reduce the signal. Yeah. And one is to overwhelm the signal. Yeah. So when you stub your toe and it's throbbing. Yeah. Um, you can take a painkiller to like quiet the throbbing or you can grab your foot and rub it. Yeah. Um, and this is a thing called gate control theory, yeah. gate control theory, where the, the, the rubbing sensation closes the gate on the throbbing sensation. Yeah. So reading a horror story where it's fear closes the gate on the fear you're experiencing from the literal horror show happening around you. It's like icy hot. Yeah. It's like, like icy hot. That's exactly what it is. Icy yeah. hot for patriarchy. <laughs> yeah. And both of them are legitimate ways to manage pain. Yeah. And entertainment still feels to me like on the consumer end, entertainment, one of the main things it does. Yeah. Apart from, like, we haven't talked about the community building social aspect of, like... Yeah, there's that too. You know, going to Comic-Con with your 12 friends dressed up as characters from the whatever. Yeah. Or, you know, Disney bounding at Disney World. Yeah. But... But if you can overcome... The judgment of how the world perceives what you consume and how you perceive your love of what you consume, that is really the thing that opens the gate to allow entertainment to become valuable, medicinal, soothing, helpful. And also everyone on earth should watch Shit's Creek. Yeah, you should all watch Shit's Creek. It's really good. It's really good. <laughs> Although if you don't like it, that's okay too. Yeah, that's fine. It's not for everybody. It's not for everybody. I don't like that kind of very awkward humor of like people being like rolling shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I uh, cringy. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't, I don't enjoy that. No, that's not my favorite part either. And when I rewatch episodes, I skip those. Yeah, like I want to find like cuts of it that's like just just, just a nice part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's like just Catherine O'Hara. Yeah, that would be great if I could just watch. Yeah, the scenes with Catherine O'Hara and Patrick. Patrick singing. Yeah. Because he's genuinely good. Yeah, he's like a real musician. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) See, this is the thing. When people talk about what they take pleasure in, they get carried away and distracted. And that's okay. Yeah. Like what you like. Like what you like. Be critical and non-judgmental. Yeah. Don't be a dick about the things you don't like. Yeah. And that is this episode of the Feminist Survival Project. I'm Emily Nagaski. I'm Amelia Nagaski. And uh, if anything was written, it was written by us. If it was edited, it was edited by my marital euphemism. Any music is by... Me. And um, you can follow us on the social media, Instagram and Twitters. 
at FSP 2020. Are there uh, things that you consume entertainment wise that numb pain really well for you? We'll compile a list. We'll put it in the show notes. Email us like the thing that you, the podcast you listen to, the show you watch, the audiobooks you listen to, the whatever it is. Strawberry if, if nougat. It manages the, oh, strawberry nougat. If it manages pain for you, we want to know about it so that we can share that list for other people to see if that's a thing that's going to help manage the pain for them too. We are all about pain management. You know what's icy hot for me? Bojack Horseman. Okay. Because it's a different kind of pain. (laughs) I like it a lot. Icy hot. Okay. Yeah. Maybe that's what the awkward, cringy humor of Schitt's Creek is for Mm -hmm. me is it's icy hot. I love that analogy. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep using it. Okay, great. Okay. So let us know what your icy hot is of entertainment. And uh, thanks for listening. No complexity. Just yes, good. that's delicious from the second it touches my face until I poop it out. Just delicious the whole time. <laughs>